Oh, welcome to um, this week's McLaren Fan Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Andy Donnelly, and uh, unfortunately, Sarah can't make it this week. She's not very well, um, but we've got a couple of quotes from her um, to discuss some of the points later on, so we'll get on to them, but uh, just say get well soon, Sarah. Hope you're back next week. Um, but we still do have a guest for tonight. We've got Fern Locke, who is our special guest star tonight. And um, maybe a lot of you will know Fern for some of her amazing designs uh, that you see on T-shirts and everything else like that. But you might not know she actually designed our logo as well. And it's a very good one. Thank you very much. So hello, Fern. Hello. Hello, everyone on the podcast today, listening. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I, well, first of all, I can't believe that we're up to episode seven. I actually didn't think we'd get past episode one, but there you go. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think given that we've just had um, the turkey race, um, we're actually recording it after the race today rather than the day after, just because of logistics. But I think we've got quite a bit to talk about, really, haven't we? Absolutely. It was a big, big weekend. Yeah, yeah. So um, let's just crack into that then and just have a bit of a, a chat about it. Um, yeah, I, I guess the one of the things is, you know, we've got to look at these kind of races that are one-offs. Um, it's something that, you know, I think we've had Imola, we had Portimao, um, we've had Magello. I can't remember if there's any others that we've had that have been one-offs, but um, certainly we're going to have Bahrain coming up, which is going to be the normal GP track. And then I think they're doing a shorter track or something like that. Um, yeah, it's going around almost like an oval, isn't it? Yeah, maybe they're doing the karting track. That might be quite interesting. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, certainly some of these more, let's just call them non-traditional calendar races, have thrown up some quite actually interesting racing. And, um, you know, maybe it's because they haven't had all the data. Maybe it's because of, you know, like we've seen this weekend, new surfaces and things like that. But certainly um, they've been some of the more interesting ones, this sort of calendar year. Yeah, I've got to agree with that. It seems like it's unpredictable every race at the moment. And it's probably due to the fact that they're not having as much practice. So it seems to be every time we go to a new track, it rains or there's something wrong. And they just haven't got the time to practice. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that could be uh, could be right. I mean, certainly on Friday, um, a lot of the teams were, uh, a lot of the drivers actually were, sort of saying it was like driving on ice yeah. and that was when it was dry so uh god knows what the race today was like for them but um yeah i certainly uh, i think i read somewhere or heard somewhere that it was only 10 days ago that they finished putting the asphalt down yeah it seems very very um very very close to the race for me and kind of no wonder it was a little bit kind of um Slippy underfoot, let's just say. Yeah. Um, 
Do you uh, reckon they were putting it off? So in case they didn't actually turn up and do the race? I mean, so it was a precaution. quite possible, isn't it? You know, yeah. um, I mean... We know what it's like at the moment and it's unpredictable whether we're going to have a race yeah. with all the lockdowns everywhere, especially around Europe at the moment. Maybe they thought, well, we'll leave it as late as we can just so we're not wasting money on resurfacing. Yeah, I mean, that could that could have been it. That definitely could have been it. Um, you know, I, I'm not quite sure how things work in Turkey and stuff like that. Maybe anyone from Turkey who knows a bit more uh, inside info might be able to kind of tweet us about it at um, McLaren Fancast on Twitter. Yes, I, I keep getting that wrong every week. I'll get it right at some point. Um, so, yeah, so Friday was a bit like kind of, oh, this could kind of open up to quite an interesting weekend. I think we did quite okay on Friday. It seemed to me that we were testing a lot of things that might be for next year and set up and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think other teams were as well. I know that uh, Mercedes were quite down in this sort of... Uh, um, uh, timing charts on on one of the fp sessions so um yeah i wasn't too concerned where we were it certainly felt like a very mixed bag yeah there was no clear lead or anything red bull looked strong ferrari seemed stronger than normal but there wasn't any clear of who's gonna be at the top or who's gonna get pulled on friday we were clueless yes yes and I guess in some cases the teams possibly were as well. I don't mean that in a bad way, but I mean with it being somewhere that they haven't got real data for for at least nine years. Um, and coming back to it, it was, it was probably a little bit kind of like, oh, we've got some data, but most of the drivers hadn't driven around there. I think, I think it was only Lewis and Kimi that had driven around there previously. Um, uh, so, yeah, you know, <laughs> quite interesting. Um, yeah, uh, and I guess then, you know, it was no real surprise on Saturday when we all got up, watched FP3, and then on the quali when it was hammering it down with the rain, and it was just, uh, I saw some people saying that, oh, we should stop this, we should stop this, but for me, personally, I thought it was really exciting, because it just it's mixed just everything. You, yeah. just, you find out who the real drivers are. Yes. And that makes it even more exciting. It's not about the car. It's not about the power you've got behind you. It's whether you can keep it on that track. Yes. Uh, and we and we saw that, didn't we? I mean, we saw certainly um, in, in in Q1, um, you know, sort of Latifi. Was it Latifi that went off uh, and caused the double yellows? Yep. Yeah. Um, and obviously that sort of uh, caught us out a little bit. But there was a lot of drivers not managing to keep the cars on the track, and I don't, you know, not big spins, but just a little bit wide, and you're off the racing line, um, and then, yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, you were basically a passenger at some points, weren't you? Yeah. Um, and yeah, there was gravel traps after that, which is great to see again. Yeah, Lando was calling for them the other week, so it's good to finally have some gravel back. Yeah, exactly. So it just meant that you know, there was a bit of jeopardy there that you needed to keep the car on track. You couldn't just drive out wide and come back on. Um, yeah. But I certainly, you know, watching quality, 
I think we were caught out a little bit. Um, and then I just don't think we quite had it set up right or anything else like that. And certainly, um, I think we, we kind of qualified in P11 and 13, but then grid penalties chucked us down to 14 and 15. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously we're at this point coming towards the end of the season, we're, uh, you know, up against Racing Point and Renault. And, you know, any points that we get would be valuable every race weekend. So I felt like we're in a bit of a disadvantaged position compared to our rivals at that point on Saturday. Um, and I know that, you know, things have been bad in the past, but it was just like kind of, oh, no, you know, <laughs> this Not is the last again. thing we need. When will, when will we get a bit of luck? Um, and, yeah, you know, we'll get on to when we got a bit of a look when we talk about the race today. So, yeah, um, yeah what were your kind of thoughts on quality? What did you kind of pick out from there and, and see happening? So, obviously, it, it was a bit crazy seeing the racing points so far ahead. Um, and it was good to see one of the other teams rather than just Mercedes every week. But with the whole penalties and us being towards the back, I'm, I'm surprised that there wasn't any engine upgrades or anything that we could do to go, give us more of a penalty and start right at the back as it wouldn't have made any difference. But uh, you've got to keep positive with these situations and just really hope for the best on Sunday. That's when the points are dished out. So it's really look what we can improve on. And I think that's what Carlos was saying in the interviews afterwards, that he was there quite late going through what went wrong and where they needed to improve. Yeah, yeah. I, I just pick up on there on the sort of engine penalties and stuff like that. Uh, I remember a few years ago during the, let's just call them the Honda years, where um, we we had a 55-place grid penalty. Yeah, starting <laughs> from the previous race. Yes. <laughs> so... You know, even if we'd taken a few, well, it wasn't as crazy as that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess I guess the team, you know, did a lot of work on Saturday night. Um, yeah. I also know, also I don't know if you saw the video of um, the basically whoever was organising the track and stuff like that. I think Lee, one of our um, mechanics, posted on his Instagram while they were doing some work on the car on, on Saturday night or, or whatever they were doing in the garage Saturday night, that um, there were basically road cars going around the track to lay a rubber down. <laughs> it's a shame it rained afterwards. Yeah. And then <laughs> it really it help. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think they've done it. They did, must have done a lot of work on Saturday night to get things kind of looking a little bit better for the race, for strategy and everything else like that. Um, yeah, I mean, let's move on to the the race itself. I'm just going to um, uh, got a quote here from Sarah. Um, I'm not going to try it in an Essex accent because that would just be ridiculous. Um, this is the kind of race where when, where not giving up and plugging away is important. A good haul of points, so important that in the race for third place as we look where we ended up relative to the uh, Renault team. Um, and she's right, you know, um, the 
it was kind of for me a race of two halves and the weather and the track kind of made that um i i was sat there at lap 30 thinking well stroll's got this absolutely nailed in the bag yeah no chance of him not not winning this race and um yeah then it all it seemed to be that when the wet conditions kind of came out and it was more changeable conditions what i would call maybe damp for the intermediates we looked on fire we were saying we were getting faster and faster car started with the fastest laps then lando got two or three in a row yeah it's crazy fastest cars on track yeah and that's good to see that's always good to see especially when you're up against you know some of the more powered cars like the mercedes and stuff like that but um yeah, I mean, uh, let's let's talk about it in two halves, and let's talk about the first half of the race and what kind of things were happening there. I, I thought Carlos got a brilliant start. Uh, I think he got up to P nine from yeah. uh, from P four. Moved up six places, hasn't he? Yeah. Right at that point. And I, I I don't think this is like I don't think this is picked up enough on out there by the media. The you know I think. In the uh, one of the previous races, I think it was Portugal. Um, he, you know, when he when he kind of got to the front and led the race, yeah. Everybody talked about Kimi Räikkönen having a great start, but, but Carlos actually, Carlos had a brilliant start. Yeah. So I, I think you know this is one of the things that nobody seems to have picked up on too much that how good his starts really are. I'm going to say, right, controversial point. Okay. I remember Alonso in his heyday was good at starts like this as well, in same sort of similar conditions. Well, that's because Carlos copies his driving style, doesn't he? Is that what it's it is? He's just copying yeah. completely. That's who, that's who he learned from, isn't it? Well, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see a battle between them next year. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought he got a great start in in what were horrendous conditions. Um, we we didn't get to see it on on board, which was a shame. But yeah, I'd like uh, to see that because yeah. obviously being so far back, they only concentrate on the first like top six cars. Everyone yeah. else gets missed out. Yeah, um, and we, I watched Lando's start uh, later on uh, on Twitter. Somebody posted it, and uh, he just basically went backwards. He had an absolutely horrendous start. So. For him to recover and, and be a bit more competitive in the race was 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 brilliant. Um, and then, yeah, I guess you can kind of just... Uh, I know, for me, it was probably one of the most exciting races of the season. Not because of the result, but because on every lap, you just didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. Even though you, you were kind of going, oh, well, this is this and this is that. You were like, at any point, somebody could spin off here and it just changes the whole race or there could be contact. I'm absolutely amazed there wasn't a safety car. <laughs> well, there, there was the virtual safety car, wasn't there? Because yeah. the car pulled in the side, but they couldn't quite get it in. But otherwise, yeah. they were very careful there out there. no massive contact between anyone. I was expecting to see somebody ploughing the back of somebody in a breaking area and stuff like yeah. that. So, um, you know, I made, that, I made the point a few times on the weekend that these are the 20 best drivers in the world. And actually, they went out and proved it because they, they pretty much all kept the cars on the track to some sort of degree. I would, I mean, 
what did you kind of grab from that first part of the race? It's just so hard to catch up with what's going on there. Every, you couldn't see who was spinning. So you saw a yellow flag come up in sector one or sector two and thinking, well, who was it? Was it one of our boys? Was it someone else? And it kept flashing on and off all the time. It, that made it exciting. You never knew who was going to come round the corner next. It was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah, and every time it came up, I was praying it wasn't us. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, that was that was a good kind of start the race and then it kind of turned itself on its head um pretty much when it started to dry out and people were on intermediates that you know a little bit more worn um and like I say it, it, you know Carlos was in a great position at, the, at this point I think he was in P8 at this point um and then just for one reason or another Max spinning um, you know, strolls, pit stop, and then destroying his tyres in two laps, all that kind of stuff, um, just played right into our hands. Um, we seem to just be able to switch those tyres on in that condition, which is no surprise given that's the same side of conditions that we were way out front of everyone exactly. else a couple of weeks ago. Um, I was just praying that, it, one, it didn't rain again, and two, it didn't dry. Exactly. <laughs> I was just just stay like this for twenty laps, and we'll be all right. It was when they, the commentator said heavy rain was coming. I was panicking, thinking, "What's going to happen here? Uh, Are we going to?" Yeah, I think this was the classic Ferrari bluff because it was the Ferrari pit wall. Yeah. Strategy people. Now we all know we've watched the races this year. Don't listen to Ferrari strategy; it never works. <laughs> They're clueless. <laughs> So yeah, um, so yeah. So I thought it was it was great. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I kind of was as uh, a bit of a obviously F one geek sort of thing, but didn't dirty cars look brilliant? <laughs> I think they should do that rather than flowvis actually get mud on the cars with yeah. the rain. It, it was really brilliant. clever to see how it flows through and the aerodynamics yeah. with it. So it's an insight we don't really get as fans. So if yeah. you are looking at it properly then it was very interesting. Yeah, and it, it showed up a lot on ours because of our, obviously the papaya spark colour Yeah, um, probably sort of helped with that. Um, I'm assuming we're papaya spark this year. I don't know if the flat papaya is a different name. Maybe somebody from McLaren can let us know. Maybe I'll have to tweet them and ask. <laughs> um, but yeah, certainly to finish... Um, in P5 and P8, and Lando getting the fastest lap. Um, if you told me that before the race, I would have gone, yep, yes, please, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, and I think Lando had probably, for me, one of his best drives to come back from where he started. He was up, wasn't he? He was yeah. like 30 seconds behind at one point from where Carlos was, and that was coming down and down and down. Given yeah. another five or six laps, he'd have been right up there. Yeah, he would. I think he would have caught both of the Red Bulls pretty quickly. Yeah. For that, we, we were gaining quite a lot. Um, they were going backwards, we were going forwards. Um, and yeah, the, the constructors is incredibly close now, isn't it? So, um, yeah, I think there's five points between us and Racing Point, and 
I think, is it 10 points between us and Renault? 13. 13. So, yeah, um, the next three races are very important. Yeah, it's all or nothing, isn't it? It is. I, I, I think, you know, two good showings out of those three, I think we've got a chance. Yeah. And I think, you know, third or fourth, if we're behind racing point, I think you can kind of go fair enough. Yeah. Um, but if we finish fifth, I think that would be quite disappointing for a lot of people in the team. We have worked as a team this year and last year it was incredible, but this year it was, should be something to build on. We should yeah. be doing better. So third or fourth minimum, really. Yeah. Five would be a disappointment. Yeah. Uh, but what, you know, even, even then, and uh, we'll, we'll come, you know, we'll be covering this at the end of the season about, it'd be two really decent, solid seasons for us. And that's like, not happened for a long time. No. If you just said two, three years ago that that would happen, yeah. you're like, no way. Yeah, not a chance. You look back at kind of maybe talking 2011, 2012, the last time we had two yeah. solid seasons. So, you know, it was a long time ago. So, yeah. So um, anything else you want to cover on the race before we move on? No, I think it was a really good race. If we, I would like to see Turkey back maybe every other year just to revisit it that would be fun the same with the other tracks but maybe not every year on the calendar you want maybe it on we should have a, a tbc slot yeah. every year and they put a, a, a different track in there i'd like to see that i think somewhere different i mean that's what they used to do with the what they used to call the european grand prix yeah. or different places didn't they so i'd like to see that just a random track uh, every year or something like that so yeah um, obviously, you can't move on from the race without uh, a special mention to Lewis for his seventh world driver's title. I mean, that is pretty outstanding. Um, it really is. I mean, it's it was quite obvious it was going to happen in the next couple of races anyway. But, you know, the, the guy is an absolute superstar of the sport. And I'm glad uh, that he won today as well, because if he'd have stayed towards the midfield today and won it, that's not the same. Win your world championship by winning the it, race. In it the was a drive of a world championship. Yeah. So, yeah. So next we're off to Bahrain for the double header, um, which is uh, over a couple of weekends, uh, which leads us nicely into kind of our next point. So um, I don't think anything's officially confirmed yet, but it looks like testing is three days in Bahrain next year from the rumours. Yeah. Um, disappointing for us fans is it a one-off just because of COVID I know the teams have been kind of pushing this for a for a for a little while um, Sarah's uh, is somebody who's gone to quite a lot of testing and sort of um, I think she's been consistently for five or six seven years or something like that um, she's she's given us a quote. So I'm personally disappointed by testing going to Bahrain. I've attended every testing every, testing year since 2013. It's great access at a price that real fans can afford, and I've always loved that first glimpse of the cars, even when it was Jerez and I was waiting for Nando to emerge. I'm not sure if they say it's going to be open or close to fans, but. My guess, even if it was open, it's just a bit too far for fans to just travel and pricey 
for us fans now. It's not like you can buy a £39 Ryanair flight and then go <laughs> into, uh, to watch the cars for €25, Euros, I think it was, wasn't it, this year? Um, also, there must be impact on the teams. They know the routine at Barcelona well. And logistically, this changes everything from a drivable Euro race to a flyaway. So maybe we won't see teams sneaking parts in and out every night on short flights or a drive. How is this going to affect them? So, um, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, um, uh, you, you've been testing in Barcelona, haven't you? I have, yeah. I've been a few times. You've been a few times. So, and you know, I've been a couple as well. And the thing that's always struck me is that, um, and granted, you know, given the whole COVID thing, it probably have been very different next year anyway. Um, you got a bit of access, didn't you? You was always... The yeah. teams were very appreciative of fans being there, being in the stands and stuff like that. And, you know, um, uh, you, you, you had a good chance to meet your favourite driver or something like that. So there was always uh, a little bit of sort of excitement around that. For me, personally, I enjoyed that. I used to love just sitting in the big stand at the back um, on an afternoon in the sun and just watching cars going around for hours and hours and hours. Um, whilst eating uh, one of the rather luxurious trackside hot dogs that they had. <laughs> um, what, what about you? I mean, I'm, 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 I'm hoping it's just a one-off and it'll go back to Barcelona the, the year after. But I don't know, I kind of just get the feeling that they've been pushing for this. And um, I think they'll give it a year, won't they? They'll see how it works and... Let's take Williams, for example. Was it last year where they, were, they weren't ready? Um, the car wasn't ready and they didn't have all the updates ready, so they couldn't partake in the first few days of testing. What happens if that happens in Bahrain? Yeah. It's can't get the updates out quick enough. No. You're not going to get any running. So no. in that respect, I think it's a bit silly going all that way. But then look at the year we had the snow in Barcelona and they got no running. Yeah. You're not going to get snow in Bahrain. No. So it, it makes sense, but it is a shame for the fans. And I really do hope it does come back or that we do get some mid-season testing that with the same kind of access for the fans, that could be an alternative. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that would work, wouldn't it? I guess the teams yeah. would against that because they have the shutdown in August. So, um, But yeah, I mean, maybe what you could have is a combination. Maybe you could have the first test out in Bahrain, then you get yeah. past that week where it might snow in Barcelona. Um, <laughs> and then come back in March. Yeah, and then come back at the end of sort of um, beginning of March or whatever to Barcelona for a week or four days or whatever um, and do it then when it's less likely to be like that. Okay, so um, yeah, well, let's see what happens. Let's see. I know not just us are disappointed but I've got a lot of friends a lot of friends through F1 that I've met at testing and they're all good as well because it's a great way to meet other F1 fans from other teams and have a good chat and a good time and it's um you know I think you know some some of these people that I've met at testing we've gone to Grand Prix in Japan together and stuff like that so it's uh really quite uh, a good place to go so fingers crossed it stays in one form or another even maybe sort of after next year right let's have a bit of chat about you then Fern so um, 
I've written down here, Carlos Sainz, biggest fan. Right? You're probably right there. <laughs> um, and we're not we're not talking about Carlos Sainz Senior, the rally driver. We're talking about nope. Carlos Sainz Junior. So tell us a little bit about how you became a fan of his, because I know it's not just since you joined McLaren. I know that you go all the way back to the Toro Rosso days. I remember talking to you on Twitter and stuff like that. And, you know, you were always the, oh, he's, you know, my favourite driver and everything. Yeah. <laughs> like that. So, and it was pretty perfect, you know, the other year when he joined McLaren so that you could have your favourite team and your favourite driver together. Um, but that's not going to last. Uh, <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> He's not going anywhere. I'm not letting it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, give me a bit of a sort of insight and in how you kind of got into that and all that so, stuff. So, back in his first year in F1, um, I took my first trip to Barcelona. Um, I was sat just opposite the pit exit and watching the screens on practice sessions. So, in between them. And they had so many interviews with Carlos, obviously being a Spanish driver in his first race he was obsessing over Fernando every single interview was like Fernando this Fernando that it wasn't about him he was fangirling and I was like this is me Carlos you're very much like me so after that I got watching him and looking at his skills on track and also the way he held held himself in interviews and with the press I was very, very impressed, especially as young age and with having Max Verstappen as your teammate. You're not going to get much attention, but he held his own. And since then, followed him through to Renault and then finally dream team at McLaren. It, it really has been an adventure and it's not over yet. Hopefully he does what Fernando did and come back to McLaren at some point when he's ready. Yeah, I think the team would, would love to have him back as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's not not true. You just followed him because he's got the best hair in the. No, but he has. <laughs> Speaking of somebody who has no hair, I do have hair envy. Um, <laughs> yeah, so um, and I believe you've met him a few times as well. Yeah, just a few. <laughs> so um, I was probably the first fan to get a tattoo. So my first one was a Barcelona circuit with number 55 of the grandstand I sat in. So right by the pit exit. Um, and I showed him it and he, he was like, wow, this is crazy. And then when we were in Australia, he managed to sign it for me when I was a bit thinking that I'd never have an autograph tattoo. That's just tacky. But in the moment, went and done it. Um, got it signed on the Thursday night. And then on Friday, in between the two practice sessions, I managed to get it tattooed. So there was me walking around the circuit with like cling film all around me, trying to keep all the dirt and dust off of it. And it was a nightmare, but I was so happy that I did it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I was kind of lucky to be present at that one. It was quite an interesting thing. You were like, if he signs it, I'm going to get it tattooed tomorrow. And we were like, oh, whatever, yeah. And then, yeah, you did. You kind of yeah. disappeared after FP1. We're like, where's she gone? No, nah, she can't have gone to get a tattoo. We were like, we thought you were going to get the beers. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so it, it was quite a, yeah, it was quite a, quite a surprise when you're like, oh, I've just come back and just had it tattooed. Look at that. You're like, brilliant. Um, and I didn't miss any of the F1 action, which is the most no, important thing. <laughs> it is exactly that point. So, um, 
I, I think there's a video kicking around somewhere. Um, yeah. Well, you can share it, and then we'll retweet it on the uh, on the Twitter. I will do. People can see it. Um, yeah. Um, let, well, let's move on to uh, how you kind of think he's done this. These, you know, the past two years at McLaren. How do you think he's going to fare at Ferrari? So I've been really impressed with the relationship he's built with McLaren. So the kind of team has built themselves around him and Lando moved fearlessly forward, as they say. Um, I think the team are going to miss him. And with all the feedback he gives, the fact that he lives in Woking, he can go in, give him help whenever he needs to. Um, It's going to be really sad. When I found out the news, I was heartbroken. Like, how can you split this up? It's like a family breaking up. Um, but I still don't believe it's going to happen. I won't believe it till that day he's wearing that red shirt. Um, secretly, I'm hoping it's all all a dream and he's going to stay at McLaren, but <laughs> that's not going to happen. <laughs> you think Lando's quite upset? Absolutely. I, I think, but the man is a good replacement for Carlos. If yeah. there was anyone going in there, I'm glad it's him. Yeah. I think I think that's a, a good point. Um, I certainly think that without Carlos being there, I don't think Lando would have progressed as much. In, no, they worked well together. Lando is his own driver this year, but last year I really felt that Carlos took him under his wing, yeah. and helped him gain that kind of race confidence and everything else like that. We know Lando's got the talent. It was just. Carlos had been there and done it. He'd been that rookie. He'd been in that situation where, you know, it's a, he's up against somebody else. Um, so I, I certainly, you know, from a um, fan's point of view, having uh, met him once or twice, and I'm still not going to forgive him for taking the whole bag of Haribo when I was handing <laughs> it out. Um, but yeah, there you go. Carlos likes the Haribo, although his trainer told me off for giving him Haribo. There you go. Um, yeah, uh, I think I'll miss him at the team as well. I think, uh, you know, I wish him all the best at Ferrari as long as we're beating them. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to be hard for me, supporting Carlos and thinking, yeah, I want you to do better, but then don't overtake the McLaren either. Yeah. It's so, going to be so horrible to watch. <laughs> slap, Albert Park for the win. Carlos yeah. coming around the corner. In a Ferrari, Lando coming around in a McLaren. Who do you choose? Oh, I don't know. That's I, a hard I, question. I can't. Yeah, I That's couldn't. It... We'll leave that for another day because <laughs> you know, when it happens, we all know McLaren will win. So, <laughs> um, one other thing that you kind of are known for is you make some T-shirts and everything else with some art on it i don't know whether you call it kind of cartoony art and stuff like that um there's been some quite interesting sort of designs that you've done yeah <laughs> uh um i seem to remember i think one of my personal favorites was um the um new kids on the papaya block that you did yep. in uh, i've got that t-shirt i think there's a picture of us in australia both wearing it um, while attempting to jump up and down on the bouncy bridge. Um, <laughs> and um, probably my other one is the one where Carlos got the trophy in Brazil. Uh, yeah. 
and uh, yeah, but you know, they, they really are pretty good. So, um, I mean, where can people see some of these designs or even buy them if they want? So I have a, a red bubble store. Um, I'll put the link on my Twitter so you can find them. Um, the actual account is lock up t-shirts. Um, so obviously using my name and the whole F1 lock up thing. I thought that was quite a clever name. Um, so you can buy them on there. Um, there's all different types of merch, cups, t-shirts, stickers. Um, and basically I advertise it all on my Twitter or my Instagram. So what is your, your Twitter if anyone wants to follow you? So it's Fern's F1 Tweets. And what about Instagram? Instagram is just Fern Lock. Okay. So L-O-C-K. Brilliant. Right. That's great stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, have you got any plans for any special T-shirts or designs coming up? That we so can I've just about? launched a Daniel Ricardo one ready for McLaren with papaya-inspired colouring. Um, and I'm just waiting to do a few little Christmas surprises that might pop up very shortly. Excellent, excellent. And um, where during the whole of October, um, I believe you did um, every day you did a piece of art. F1. Yep. Is that right? It was, yep. So 31 days. Um, each drawing probably took about three, four hours to do. So I don't know how I managed to get through it. I was a day or two behind by the end of it, but all different drivers and teams drawn, different themes. I tried to keep quite Halloween-y as well with the whole October theme, um, trying out different styles, and they seem to be very popular. Um, yeah, just just have a look at them. Um, there's lots of artists that took part, and the hashtag was F1 Art Over, so like October. Excellent. Right. We'll have a look at some of them as well. All right. Great stuff. Thanks very much for joining us this week, Fern. Okay. Um, as always, thanks for everybody who's listened. Um, if you need to get in touch with us, just give us a shout at McLaren Fan Cast on Twitter. And we'll have our next um, episode in a couple of weeks. We've already got a guest lined up and we're. Uh, very excited about that. A little bit of a clue there. Right. Speak to you next time. Bye. Bye.